So you didn't want me to um, bring a stool up here to sit down on, huh? <laughs> the title of this is Our Church. When we read in Revelation, the seven churches of Revelation is what we call it. Do you realize that those were real, living people, same as we are today? They thought the same way as we did. They believed in Jesus Christ. They followed Jesus. And they worshiped the Father as we are worshiping the Father. If we went back in time to then, it would be just as normal as now. Or if they came here, we'd be worshiping same as they do in the way of praising and honoring the Father. They were no different than we are today. And the way they think, the way they act, the way they believe, they are no different than us today. The letters that was written was written to congregations and not an individual. Jesus looked at the congregation as a whole and said, this is what I think of this congregation as a whole. It is how they appeared to Jesus. And that's what he wrote. This is how I see you. What we're going to do is we are going to look at these churches and ask ourselves, which one of these churches do we fall under or how does God look at us as a church today? Not as individuals, but as a whole, as a church. How does God see us? Now, why are we going through this? Because we are judged by those who we associate with. You're known by who you hang around with. Your family, you're known by your family name. Those we associate with is how people see us. And that's how Jesus sees us as a whole. The letters tell us that we are going to be persecuted. Why? Why? The question is why? Because we are no different than they were. They were persecuted and we will be persecuted also. The question is, are we prepared to be hated to be persecuted, to be thrown into jail, and even to be killed. Have we prepared ourselves for that the same as they had to prepare for it because they were living through it? Are we preparing ourselves for those events in our lives and as a church? Are we preparing our minds for the end to endure the trials that we are going to face, just remember this, God will not test us beyond our limits. So what we read about these churches, they were not tested beyond their limits. Same as when God tests us, we are not going to be tested beyond our limits. 
How do we endure? We do it by preparation, by being prepared. Let me ask you this question. If they told you right now, go out and start running a marathon, could you do it? No. Number one, you've got to prepare yourself mentally that I have to run a marathon. And secondly, you have to prepare by running and getting in shape to do it. It's the same thing with us. Are we preparing ourselves to endure, to endure what God says we can endure? And we do it by preparation. So here's the question. What kind of a church are we? I'm talking as a whole, not individually, but as a whole. What kind of a church are we? Can you describe our church and how would you describe it? Would you say we are a warm church? A church that is accepting. A tolerant church. A live and let live type of church. Don't make waves type of church. What kind of church are we today? Now, we're going to turn to Revelation, or Revelation 2. But remember this, all of the churches in the beginning, it starts off with, each or it starts off with each or to the angel of the church right so it starts off with to the angel of the church of Ephesus right and this is in revelation 2:4 and this is what was wrote, written about them but i have this against you what we're going to look at is what was wrong with the churches I have this against you that you left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. You left your first love, that is considered falling. And repent and do the deeds you did at first. What, did, what was the first thing we started to do? Wasn't it to dig into the scriptures and find every little morsel of information we could get to talk to people? Do you remember what your first love was like when you first understood the truth? When God opened our eyes, that's what he's telling this church. Remember, you have lost that. Or else, this here's the penalty that will happen. Or else I am coming to you and we will remove your lampstand out of its place. You know what we are just told? We have a lampstand. All seven churches have a lampstand. And Revelation was written for God-believing people, not the world. These letters were written to those churches. And they kept reading. After they read about their church, they kept reading all the rest of the way through the book of Revelation. It is for God's people and a warning for us. The lampstand will be removed unless you repent. He's talking to the whole church of Ephesus. Repent and get your first love back. The people of Ephesus, on the outside, they might have looked like a very good church. But inside, what were they like? It wasn't what God wanted. They didn't have that first love. 
God was not their primary focus. They got a little bored with the Word of God. And it wasn't as exciting. It didn't bring the thrills that they wanted. It just got boring and they lost their first love. Our Heavenly Father isn't after mature love. He's after the first love. And here's an example of that. Jacob. He worked for seven years for Rachel. And it says, so Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. He spent seven years of his life to marry Rachel. And then this is what it was like. But they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. That's first love. It, it, it went by so quickly. Those seven years were just like a few days. But what happened when he got mature love? Because we did get that. Does it say the exact same thing about the next seven years he had to work for Rachel after he had married her? Before he married her, those years just flew by. But it sure doesn't say the same thing afterwards. Before he was working toward a goal. And in the last seven years, he was paying off a credit card. Exodus 19.7, this is the tribe of Israel. They're wandering in the wilderness. This is Exodus 19.7, keep a finger in Revelation, we're headed back there. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. He just talked to Jesus, came back, and now he's telling them everything. All. This isn't some. This isn't just the leaders. This is all the people answered together and said, All that the Eternal has spoken, we will do. That's first love. They wanted to do it. They said, we will do it. There was an excitement. And Moses brought back the word of the people to the eternal. That was us when we first learned the knowledge of God. We wanted it so badly, we even got baptized. Because we said, I will commit my life to you. Exodus 36, 5. This is when Moses said, hey... Everybody start donating so we can build the tabernacle. And he told everything that they needed. The hides, the jewels, the linen, the brass, the gold, all of that. And then this is what happened. Well, all the collectors, the people collecting all of the offerings. And they said to Moses, The people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Eternal has commanded us to do. After Moses had given an order, they sent a proclamation throughout the camp. No man or woman should make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing any more. Not only did they want to bring some, they had to be restrained from bringing any more. Is that how we are with the word of God do we have to be restrained because we are studying it too much? 
oh, stop studying, let's go eat. As when Jesus was talking to the, uh, the crowd and the disciples came and said, hey, we got to let them go so that they can go get something to eat. Those people weren't worried about food. They wanted the word. The disciples were the ones worried about food. The people wanted the food that Jesus was giving them, the word, the truth, the way to live your life. Are we that excited? Do we have that much passion? Or have we kind of lost it a little bit? It's a little on the boring side. Don't be like the church of Ephesus. That's not what we want to be known as. How excited are you for the Father's Word? Do you lust after it? Just can't wait to get enough? Or is it something, well, well, you know, Sabbath is coming. I'll get it then. I'll get my daily dose on the Sabbath. Is that how we see it? We have another church. This is Smyrna. Or, or yeah. This is Revelation 2.9. This is what... Jesus had to say about this church, I know your tribulation and your poverty. Let me ask you this question. How many of us had to fight our way to get here? Had to dodge around people so we would not be restrained from getting here? Or were there people out there seeking you to stop you from coming to church? What kind of tribulation do we have? Do people seek to destroy us? They did this church. And, they, and not only that, they were in poverty. That meant they didn't have a lot of worldly goods. Because here's what um, it's continued. But you are rich. Now how do you become rich? You don't want worldly goods, because the minute you die, that's useless to you. Your riches are up in heaven. Where is your heart? That's where their riches was. What's their heart, their thirst, their hunger. But you are rich and a blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. They were being persecuted by believers who thought they were believers of God. That's who their persecutors were. This church, there wasn't any problems found with them. The only problems they had was what man was giving them. But they didn't have a problem that God had against them. No, they were being persecuted. They were being tried. They were finding out what they were made of. Are we being persecuted? Do we have to hide to worship God? No, we don't have to hide. Now there's places in this world where people do, but we're blessed. We don't. Are we content with what the Father blesses us with? Our food, our clothing, our very existence. These people were and they were rewarded for it. Look, all through history they're talked about. They're still being a witness today. That is a group, is being a witness today. But here's the question. Let's flip this around. 
This whole thing, let's just flip it around. Are we the persecutors? Do we persecute fellow members of the body of Jesus? Are we the persecutors? When we flip these, each of these around, ask yourself, which one am I? Am I the one that is accepting the persecution or am I the one that's delivering it through our actions, through what we say, even through what we think? Because God knows how we think. So, uh, the third one, Pergamum. This is 2.14. But I have a few things against you. You know, he didn't say I have one thing against you. There's a problem. I have a few things against you. Because you have, <clears throat> because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam. This is a church of God's people. And they are holding the teaching of Balaam. These are literal God's people that God the Father chose they decided to commit their life to the Father, were baptized, had the Holy Spirit, and this is what's being said about them. Who, keep, um, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. So you also have some who in the same way hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. What was, the, what was the, one of their biggest problems? They were blending the world in with God's word. They accepted the world into their congregation. And people were following it inside of God's church. This was 2,000 years ago is what we're reading about the problems that this church had. They were becoming a worldly church through their actions, through what was happening inside of that congregation. That's what Jesus was, uh, was writing about, was what this church was doing. They weren't denying Jesus because they were still keeping the Sabbath day, but they weren't obeying Jesus. They allowed sin of idolatry, of idols, immorality, heresies to infiltrate their church. Do we do the things of this world? Do we allow the world to come into this church you can start off with do we alter our speech so that it is politically correct because it's going out around the world so we have to be politically correct is that how Jesus was was he politically correct or did he speak the truth as the father told him to speak it and as he tells us to speak it here's another one do we pray for our leaders, the president, the vice president, all the way down to whatever the lowest elected, elected 
That means they were chosen to be over us. Here's what 1 Timothy 2.1 says. Keep your finger in Revelation. We're headed back there. It says, Therefore, that means pay attention, I exhort first of all um, that supplications, prayers, intersection, uh, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Not some, not part, only those I like, only those I want, but all men for kings, that's your leaders, and all who are in authority, including the cop that gives you a ticket for speeding when you were speeding, you knew you were speeding, but you're mad because he gave it to you. If you ever got a ticket, that's generally how you feel. Do we respect and pray for that cop that just gave us a ticket that's taken money out of our pocket? For those elected officials that we just dearly wonder why God put them in office? He did it because it's his plan. Not our plan, his plan. This is Timothy. He's writing this that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence for this is a good and ex- for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our savior this is Jesus who is telling us i put those people in office the father put them in office why are you not praying for my plan that we all want to have fulfilled. This is only part of God's plan. As Abraham was told, your descendants are going into Egypt and they are going to have hardship. Pharaoh was a tool to fulfill God's plan. All of these elected officials, all these people in authority, they are only tools of the Father. And he says to pray for them. Because it's getting his plan accomplished. Let's go on to the fourth church. Thyatira is the name of this church. Revelation 2.20 But I have this against you. They have something wrong with them. See, first Ephesus had something wrong. Then the second one, something good, Samara. And then all of a sudden we had something bad, and now we have something bad again. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and who teaches and leads my bond servants astray. Those are followers of the Father. This person is leading them astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. What's idols? You realize worldly pleasure can be an idol. Food can be an idol. Fun can be an idol. Anything you put above the Father is an idol. Anything that distracts you from the Father is is an idol. Uh, 21, I give her time to repent. 
They're given time. Here's what he's doing. Here's how much love God has for his churches. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. A woman was called out, given time to repent, and did not want to repent. That is a problem that this church had, and they were tolerating it. Do we have that kind of tolerance? This was a tolerance church, allowing false doctrines to be preached or to be taught. They don't just have to be preached one-on-one is teaching someone. What was infiltrated in the church was allowed to repent. That means to get it out, to have it removed, to go opposite of that. And they didn't want to. Here, here is how bad it can get. The last nine words in the book of Judges ends with this. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That is how Judges ended. They would sin. God would bring them back with a judge. Then once when that judge died, they would sin again just to repeat over and over and over to where that's how the book of Judges ends. Okay, let's go to Sardis. This is the fifth church. We're in um, Revelation 3 for this one and verse 2. Starts off with a warning. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain. What did they just say? Number one, they're asleep or they're slumbering or they're not paying attention. And strengthen the things that remain. That means they had some stuff and it's gone. So now they only have a little bit to work with whatever was remaining. Which were about to die. They were losing everything they knew. This church was on the verge of dying. And God is saying, wake up. Now remember this, back then, the churches could have been the exact same size as we are right now. This church of Sardis may have been no bigger than what we are right now. And God is saying, wake up. What you have is dying. You don't want it to die. Let's rekindle it. Let's get it going. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. In the sight of my God. This is Jesus talking. And he's talking about who is his God? The Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father. So remember what you have received and heard. First love all the way to now. And keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, if you keep sleeping and slumbering, not paying attention, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I come for you. That right there is a bunch of parables we can go to. 
How about the ten virgins? Are we finally waking up and now we go out to refill our lamp? But Jesus comes because we were asleep or slumbering or not paying attention. While we're out filling our, um, our lamp, it's too late once when it gets full. He's telling us right now, the church of Sardis was given some more opportunity because if you're told to wake up and to, uh, to um, repent, you are given time. How are you going to utilize that time that God gives us? How about the parable of the talents? One had ten, one had five, and one had one. Or it was five, three, and one. I forget at the moment. But they each had a talent, or some talents. One of them had one. What happened to his? He buried it. He was Sardis, letting it go to waste. And what happened at the end? Because he did not wake up. Because he did not utilize what God gave him. It was taken from him. That's the, what Sardis is looking at. Here. Would you be willing to let me stand here for, let's say, two, three, four hours. And just, nothing else, just start reading from the Bible. Paul did that once. That's recorded. And a young man happened to have been there. He was on the third floor because that's where this meeting was. And it says that Paul spoke for a very long time. He spoke so long that this, if they said young man, they give his name, but I'm not giving his name. The example's all I need. He went to sleep. While the message was going, he slept and slumbered. And what happened to him? He fell out of the window and died. Now Paul resurrected him. But that's the example of if you sleep, you don't wake up, what happens? Sardis is told, wake up, quit slumbering. Let's go to the next one, Philadelphia. Revelation 3, 7, this is the one that everyone wants. This is what everyone says. This is our church. So, let's read. Is this our church? And the angel of the church of Philadelphia wrote, He who is holy. Oh, yes, that's me. You're talking to me. You're talking to all of us. We're all holy. Who is true. Yep, talking to us. Who has the key of David. Man, did they get us right. Man, they're spot on. Who opens and no one will shut. Now that's some power that we get to enjoy. And who shuts and no one opens says this. I know your deeds. That means you're working. Congratulations. We're all working. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. This is what everyone proclaims they are. 
There was no rebuke whatsoever. This church has talked about their faith. They kept the name of Jesus and they did not deny the name of Jesus. How do you deny? Because what did Jesus say? If you deny my name, I will deny you. How do you deny Jesus' name? Well, did you tell your employer that you went to the Feast of Tabernacles, a religious holy day, or did you mark down on your paper or you told them, I'm going on vacation? What did you just do? You just denied God's name. You had a chance to witness and you didn't. That's how easy it is to deny God's name. And you know what? These folks weren't denying his name. They didn't because it ends with I have not denied my or and have not denied my name. Do we deny God's name through our actions? Through what we say. Does our language sound exactly like the world's language? Or are we different? Are we true followers of Jesus and worshipers of the Father? Okay, last one. Well, the last church. This is Laodicea. Verse 15, chapter 9. I know your deeds... What did God just tell us? He knows exactly what this church was doing as he did the other six. He knows our deeds. That you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth because you say, do we say this? I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. This was a lukewarm church, neither hot nor cold. They relied on themselves, on their own riches. I read the verses, ah, now I know it. Because you've read it. Not giving credit to the Holy Spirit. Because I read it. Is that the kind of attitude that we portray? They relied on their riches and things of this world. And what did it result in? Being lukewarm. They were content in a state of complacency. They were content. We don't need to do anymore. They were stagnant. Complacency. Here's what it talks about in Proverbs. For the turning away of the simple will slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. That is complacency. We're called fools if we are complacent, and it will destroy us as it was with this church. God had no, he wanted them to be either hot or cold so he could work with either way. And they were just happy as clams the way they were. Is that how we see our spiritual life? So here's, here's the question. What kind of church are we? We just read seven churches. 
Those are living, breathing people as we are today, 2,000 years ago. But they were no different from us. All of us striving for the first resurrection. That's what we all want, the first resurrection. Every one of those seven churches were identical to us in that we all believe in Jesus Christ, we all believe in the Father, and we all believe in the Holy Scriptures. What does God say about us? When God looks at us, would he say this? Look at this church. I am well pleased. Or does he give us some condemnation? Some corrective actions. That's what it is. They were actions that needed to be corrected. That's a blessing that the Father was giving them an opportunity. So, are we a warm church? Just out of curiosity. I hope the answer to that is no. We are not a warm church. We are a church that's on fire. When God sees us, he sees fire. That's what he's looking for. What's warmth? Laodicea. That is not what we want. If we're a cold church, then God can say, okay, I know where you're at. Now let's get you fired up. Are we a church that's on fire? Is that how God sees us? Are we spiritually dead? God said, wake up. Are we awake Jesus is coming, like it or not, He is coming. How prepared are we as a church preparing ourselves? Because it says when two or three people gather together, God will be with you. Why are you gathered together? To support, to help each other. How did Jesus send out His disciples? By twos. Why? So they had support for each other. So that they can motivate each other. When one starts to get a little lagged, the other one can bring them up. We are to gather together on the Sabbath day. Why? To remind each other that we have a goal and we are part of that goal. Is that why we're here? Are we just at church because we're required number one, and we like the fellowship. Is that why we're here? Or are we fired up? Because if you're not fired up, if you're not woke up or awake, when Jesus comes, your lamp will be empty. Watch what we bring into the congregation. These churches were worn. Don't be, have a Jezebel in there. Don't have a Balaam. Don't have anything contrary to the Father. Watch what is set up here on the pulpit. When somebody, I gave you some verses. Make sure I did not take those verses out of context. It's very easy to do. Make sure when you are talking to somebody... That what they are saying is what the Father would be saying himself. What Jesus uttered. He only said what the Father told him to say. 
Jesus tells us what to say in the Holy Scriptures, so are we saying more than what we're supposed to by adding our own opinions? Jesus and the Father are watching as He did these seven churches. Ensure that you and I don't bring false doctrines into this church. Don't twist something so that it's plausible or it's pleasing to ourselves. Churches can fall very quickly. There was a huge organization when I first came into the church. I was born into it. There was a huge church that is totally gone so far that they worship on Sundays. It can happen. Are we, as of the Bereans, studying and examining daily everything that's said? Are we a tolerant church? Because what we're doing is looking at ourselves right now as a whole. And we have to ask ourselves, how does the Father see us? Are we a tolerant church with doctrines, ideas, suggestions that come into the church and they're allowed to flourish? What does God say about tolerating something contrary to what the Father commands? That's what the nation of Israel kept falling down with. They had something contrary to the Father come into their country and they ran after it until God had to punish them. Now remember this. If God loves you, He will punish you. If God does not love you, He will let you run off. Have we lost our first love? Is the passion, the desire, the lust to please the Father, is it gone? I mean, we say, yes, I'm obeying God, but is there that hunger too? Do we search the scriptures, proclaim the word of the Father to everyone? When you, if you're married, what was it like when you first met your spouse? You couldn't, you couldn't stand to be apart from each other and you always wanted to be together and the time was not long enough that you were together before you had to go separate ways until you got married. Is that the type of love we have for the Father? Remember, this is real brothers, real sisters that we read about that were going through hardship. Remember this, they had the Jews after them, and then they had Rome after them. These people had to consider what their environment was that they were living in. We don't. We come freely. We move about freely. We can even get on a pulpit and spout out whatever we want. That's the kind of freedom we have right now. But once when it turns, then what will happen? Now, ask yourself this question. How many of those brothers and sisters left because they were offended about what Jesus said about their church? How many of them were mad? How many of them just, oh, they just, they couldn't take it. And how many of them said, 
This is a wake-up call for me. That's right, it's a wake-up call for me. Am I going to accept that wake-up call that the Father has given me? Do Am I going to let my physical feelings, my emotions, turn me away from God just because He said there was a problem in the church that I was meeting in? Are we strong enough to accept the little bit of criticism that God says out of love so that we can correct what is going contrary to what the Father wants? Do we truly know Jesus and the Father? Have you ever asked yourself, do I truly know them? Do you know the footsteps that Jesus followed? Do we know what he said? And are we saying what Jesus said? Or do we slant it? Do we do what Jesus did when he walked this earth? Do we think as Jesus thought? Do we have the mind, heart, and soul of Jesus and the Father? Are we diligently trying to buy that pearl of great value to where we will give up everything and anything to obtain that pearl? That's our goal. Our goal is that pearl, the first resurrection. Are we so hungry we will do whatever it takes according to the way the Father wants us to get there? Do we have that kind of hunger? Remember, if you are going through a trial, it's only a way for the Father to correct an action that needs to be corrected as a father will punish his child. So the Father loving us will do the exact same thing. How accurately do you view this church right now? Not through the way we look at it, but the way Jesus looks at us right now. Not what we have done, what we want to be, but what is the heart of this church? What is our heart? What is our priorities of this church? What is the attitude of this church? Where and when and how do we draw strength for this church? And lastly, what will happen when persecution comes to this church? We've experienced persecution already. One man died. That's it. One man died, and what happened to the church when that man died? It splintered. It blew up. There was one organization... And then when this man died, all of a sudden now there's four. And the four don't talk to each other. And the four don't have relation with each other. Yeah, when the minister died, the church exploded. They went through hardship. And how did that church respond? We all came from it. We all 
had our own reasons, and we did what we did because one man died. That wasn't Jesus. No, it was our pastor. What happened? What will happen when something happens to this church? Are we going to splinter and fall apart? I don't know. What does God say? How does God see us? Do you know how to get your first love back? If you've lost it, that enthusiasm is not quite there. How do we get it back? You realize he did not tell a single soul to leave that church. You read all seven of those churches and never did he say, oh yeah, if you have bad in you, a Jezebel, correct the action. Or God tells you ways of getting rid, but Jezebel was given time to repent. Not a single person did it say, leave that church. Jesus didn't want people to leave his body. He wants people to congregate on the Sabbath. Do we help each other? If we have a problem, do we help each other? And what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to repent. If something was said today, and you said, oh man, that hit me close. Maybe a little closer than I want, or everything I said, you might say, Randy... I'm already doing all that. That's fine. Everyone has their own life. But ask yourself this. Is this our wake-up call? Is this a time that God says, look at your church. Repent. That's the first thing we need to do. And we need to open our ears and eyes. How does a church get better? By the individuals inside of that church repenting of whatever they are doing wrong and starting to get their first love and following in the footsteps of Jesus. A church is a body of people and if every individual in that church has their first love, doing exactly as God says to do, we can become Philadelphia I'm not going to say it's easy. I'm not going to say it's hard. But through the Holy Spirit and through God, it's plausible. And that's what God wants us to become. And how do we do it? Through repentance, through love, and through only God matters. That's the only pearl that counts. Let's go with Revelation 3.18. Here's a little advice. God is going to give us some advice of how to achieve what he wants us to achieve. Revelation 3.18, I advise you. Now, if God is telling and saying, I advise you, that means we better heed to what he says. I advise you to buy from me my gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. The eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline as a father should. Therefore, be zealous and repent. That's what God, that's the advice God has given us.
How to improve your church? This church? Improve ourselves. Be zealous. Give, get your first love back. And don't squash other people's first love. Open our eyes to God's word and repent and do. Walk as Jesus walked. Revelation 2.10, last verse. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. What did God just tell us? Told us a couple of things. Number one, we are going to suffer. And number two, do not fear the suffering. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested. And you will have tribulation for ten days. You realize that's a blessing we were just told? That the tribulation has a finite amount of time. Ten days. After ten days, it's over. It's done. King David was offered punishment. Three years of famine. Three months of people um, going after him to get him, to kill him or whatever. Or three days of, of, the, of Jesus punishing him. He took the three days, a finite amount of time, and he humbled himself so much that God lifted part of that punishment. I believe it was only a day and a half. There's a finite amount of time. So when we have our tribulations, our troubles, when we have those hard times, which none of us want, but God has to shift the chaff from the wheat. Remember, it's a finite amount of time. And concluding on that, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Is that not what we're working for? Is that not what this whole thing is about? Us. And we're doing it as a church, same as those seven churches were doing it. We are a whole to help each other. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, Samarina, Sardis, Pergama, Philadelphia, Laodicea, write. And we just read what was written. To the angel of the church of tomorrow, church of God, write. What is God, what is Jesus writing about us?